Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The Senate has assembled and the impeachment trial has begun, except it is not the impeachment trial. First, it is opening statements. It is then a conversation eight hours long of whether or not this is even constitutional to begin with, considering that President Trump, who has been impeached by the United States House of Representatives, is no longer the president. Can you convict somebody who is no longer in office? That's the question. And one that the Senate has decided they will answer before moving forward, as if somehow they're the ones who can answer the question. But since this isn't a court of law and a court of public opinion, a court of theater, well, they can answer the question. And they will answer based on party lines that they can move forward. Maybe they'll get one or two Republicans to join them. And move forward, they will. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. Let me set the scene. You have Patrick Leahy, the Senate pro tem, from the majority party of the longest continuous service becomes the Senate pro tem, overseeing the proceedings. Not the Speaker of the House, I'm sorry, not the uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts. Adding to the whole idea that this is just a bit of fantasy for the cameras, for the American people, theater, if you will, our version of bread and circuses. This leading to the further constitutional question of whether or not this is valid. If even the chief justice is saying, yeah, I don't take a part in this because it's not a sitting president, so I've got nothing to do here, and thank you very much, and and have a nice day. Well, one has to ask the question of the validity of the proceedings. That's not going to stop them. Chuck Schumer has already spoken. Now, I believe we have Pat Leahy engaging in swearing in the Senate. We know the rules. Once this starts, this doesn't stop until it is done. Meaning that they won't be discussing other issues. Means that they won't be engaging other important topics that America might consider, you know, worthy of their time and attention. Worthy of the elected officials that they sent to Washington to, I don't know, do some work for them. They will start with eight hours of conversation. The conversation about, well, um, can they be doing this? Can they be doing any part of this? They will determine that that's a yes. From there, we will have 32 hours of debate, 16 hours from each side. That debate is going to be tedious. It won't include Sundays. They'll break on Friday evenings uh, for Jewish members or for Shabbat. That's the plan, kids. That's the plan. So I'm taking a look right now at a live shot of the Senate. And in that live shot of the Senate, almost everyone's wearing a mask. I'm pretty sure Rand Paul is not. I'm staring right at him. I just moved the shot. And maybe it was just the kind of mask, or maybe his hand is over his face. But if Rand Paul isn't wearing a mask, I'm telling you, I'm working on his campaign for 24. (laughs) I'm totally doing it. What to expect, what to see, what to know. As we discussed theater, from beginning to end, 
we have made the decision here that we're going to share with you as much of this as possible. And the reason that we're going to share it is because no one should be giving you this information through a filter. You should have it direct. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to jump in. I'm going to make this as entertaining as I can. And don't get me wrong, there was a real conversation about whether or not we should go down this road and go down this path. And I understand that other radio hosts are going to do it differently. But as I see it, and I keep going back to this, there's only one way to do these things. And that is to make sure we are all on the same page, all have the same baseline of what it is we heard, the argument being made. If we don't have that, how can we possibly come to proper determinations? I put forth to you that you would not be able to have faith in cable news on this subject. Or maybe I should say the usual suspects on this subject. When they're going to push forward their idea, their theory, their thesis. You need to develop your own. Because the question you have to be asking yourself is, what is it that I'm looking at here? Right? There's certainly a question to be asked about whether or not you think President Trump incited a riot. There's a question to be asked about whether or not you think uh, uh, President Trump did something right or, 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 or wrong. Right? You can say that. Now, I can argue that President Trump did a whole series of things wrong. None of it belongs in impeachment. If they had just engaged censure, they would have gotten 32 Republicans on board, and this would be done. But they didn't do that because the Democratic Party is not interested in that. They're interested in destruction, which is something you have to be watching and ask yourself, is this what I'm seeing here? And what does that mean to you as you go forward? Remember Joe Biden's calls for civility. Remember the poet Amanda Gorman's calls for for civility and unity and being together. And we, the American people, if she actually believes it or if anybody else in the Democratic Party believes it. And then take a look at this proceeding and ask yourself, is this unity? Now, you might make the argument, well, Tony, they've got to move forward. They've got to, they have to answer the question. The, the House put it to them, and now they're here. They voted to do this. They've got to do it. That's not the question I'm asking. I agree, by the way, that they've got to go forward. I'm one of the people who believes that when you take a look at, at impeachment from the House, the, the Senate is not absolved because President Trump is not in office. This is not a question of whether or not I want him convicted. It's not, it's not even a question of want. He's not going to get convicted. I don't think he's done anything worthy of conviction. But I do believe the Senate actually has to do this. I believe the Senate actually has to hear it. They didn't ask for it. It was brought to them by the House of Representatives. The question as to why the House of Representatives brought it, that's the conversation you have to have with yourself. You have to have with your loved ones. You have to have with your friends. You have to have with your kids. You have to have this conversation with your kids. You know what they're going to see? Trump impeached twice. Trump hates this group. Trump hates that group. Trump's a racist. Trump's a bigot. Trump's a this. Trump's a that. What's your plan? How do you counter the narrative of culture? Hey, kids, did you hear that the impeachment trial started today? Let me tell you what happened. 
Hey, did you hear the impeachment trial started today? You know I've got a problem with this. Hey, did you hear the impeachment trial started today? What do you think? Well, why do you think that? You heard that where? You know, it's funny. That's not what I heard. Let me tell you what I heard. The opportunity here is unlimited in being able to engage with your kids, your kids of any age group. Now, I'll tell you, maybe it's because I do this for a living. You know, there, there's no news on in my house. We don't put the news on. I don't have cable. I, I don't have cable. If I'm not on the, the being interviewed on cable news, we're not watching cable news. But we're talking all the time. All the time. But I will tell you that certainly in those early years and even into teenage years, I uh, I did not get hot and heavy with them. My my parents were much more engaged in some of those conversations when I was younger than than I am, and it could be because of of what I do. But as I look back and 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 look at it now, it's not that I'm not engaged with them. It's that I'm not engaged in the insanity news conversations, but rather the the philosophy conversations that get us to a place. There's a lot of talk in this house about what is socialism, right? It gets brought up all the time. Do we understand what it means? Do we understand what it's all about? Socialism, communism, capitalism, where the difference is, why the difference matters so greatly? We talk about that quite a bit. Yes, we talk about things happening with President Trump. Yes, we talk about things happening with impeachment. Now, if I have it right, Producer Ari, I believe that's Jamie Raskin. You got it. Who has just come to the podium. He is uh, leading the impeachment managers, and he's making the case for the Democrats. Let's take him right now and see what he has to say. Trump has sent his lawyers here today to try to stop the Senate from hearing the facts of this case. They want to call the trial over before any evidence is even introduced. Their argument is that if you commit an impeachable offense in your last few weeks in office, you do it with constitutional impunity. You get away with it. In other words, conduct that would be a high crime and misdemeanor in your first year as president and your second year as president and your third year as president And for the vast majority of your fourth year as president, you can suddenly do in your last few weeks in office without facing any constitutional accountability at all. This would create a brand new January exception to the Constitution of the United States of America. A January exception. And everyone can see immediately why this is so dangerous. It's an invitation to the president to take his best shot at anything he may want to do on his way out the door, including using violent means to lock that door, to hang on to the Oval Office at all costs, and to block the peaceful transfer of power. In other words, the January exception is an invitation to our founders' worst Nightmare. Well, at least he's not sugarcoating the uh, the painting that he's trying to put together. 
By the way, President Trump had really held on uh, at, at all costs. Wouldn't he still be there? I mean, wouldn't they had to have dragged him out of the White House? Remember, they said they were going to drag him out of the White House? No, no, he left. So that argument fails. But I do believe that the argument about you're going to have this trial, I believe that's going to work. I don't actually, I have no question that it's going to work. We will start listening. We will start breaking it down. That's coming up next. I'm Tony Katz. It's a propaganda video. That's what they're playing in the well of the Senate. Here's what happened on the day of the riots. Here's the people. Trump's mob, actually how uh, was described in the video, in, in text, um, breaking down barricades, taking on Capitol Police. No, don't get me wrong. These things absolutely happened. But they are engaged in two different conversations. The idea that there was a riot at the Capitol is not one anybody denies. The question is, did President Trump incite it? Trump's mob breaches the Capitol. This is actually playing as a video to explain their their case. My, oh, my. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. Here it is. Vice President Mike Pence is ushered off the Senate floor. Capitol Police Officer Eugene Goodman diverts a mob away from senators and the vice president. Now, this is kind of stunning because you've seen some of this, this video footage before. You, you've seen how this, you know, plays out. Um, this is their argument. This is their argument. The video that we've already seen of a riot that we already accept has happened. We're going to be reminded of. That is remarkably, remarkably awkward. Now, the moment where the Senate realizes, or uh, you know, the, you know, the, uh, or, or yeah, it was the Senate, it was the House. The, you know, they're they're counting the the votes, and they're like, well, we've got a problem. I don't argue that isn't a harrowing experience. I never, I've never argued against it uh, at all, ever once, ever. However, I will state as clear as day that if this is now the argument that the Democrats are putting forth, well, then we now know exactly what to expect. What they're showing is clip after clip after clip of those people who um, rioted at the Capitol and taking on Capitol Police, things like that. They're saying that, look, we don't care if, if, if you convict. We're not doing that. We just want to show America all these scenes so we can say, see, all Trump people are violent. They don't want to show you an Antifa scene anywhere, and why don't we equate them? We never said that Antifa was okay. We've always called it rioting. This is all rioting. That's what it is. Scaling uh, walls and, and breaking into offices, attacking Capitol Police... I'm not okay with any of this. I want no part of this. But what the, the Democrats are doing, remember, this is the start of the impeachment trial today. This is all happening as we're discussing it. None of this is, is about impeachment. None of this is about whether or not President Trump incited an insurrection, but rather 
This is to say, look at these Trump supporters. Look at all the Trumps. See, just terrible, just awful, just violent. He's talking about you. They're talking about you and me. They're talking about my mother and my 83-year-old father. Uh, That's who they're talking about. They won't have a conversation of whether or not we're actually starting to uh, really put forth rhetoric that is violent rhetoric, whether we're doing something that's really raising the temperature of the American people, whether or not we as a society need to be doing less in terms of our, our, our rhetoric and our actions and our, and our voice. I mean, that's, that would be a worthy question, don't you think? That would be a valuable question, don't you think? They've right now shown the spot where Ashley Babbitt was shot and killed. That officer, by the way, will not be uh, charged. You know, I watch a lot of this video, and I realize how right Representative Lauren Boebert is. You should be able to carry a firearm. You absolutely should be able to carry a firearm in Congress. What does Nancy Pelosi know? (laughs) Right? Video of people taking photos of notebooks and everything else as they were able to get to the floor uh, of, of the House. All of this to say you who disagreed with it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You're not a, you're not a progressive. You're guilty. But Antifa, just an idea. That's what we're witnessing. So we now know how this plays out. What their plan is. Their plan is is this video. This plan their plan is is this propaganda war. That's not a reason to impeach or or convict. But since they know they're going to lose that conviction, they know they're going to lose. They're aware that they're going to lose. Well, might as well do this. Might as well just utilize the imagery to incite more violence against the political right while claiming that President Trump incited violence. You see what I'm getting at? What else is the perfect purpose of this video except to incite violence? I'm Tony Katz. They're done with the video portion of the impeachment trial, and Jamie Raskin, Representative Raskin, is now getting involved in where they believe they have the right uh, to impeach and why the Senate should convict. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. They just showed, as I was giving the play-by-play, this video of what happened on the day of the Capitol riots, blaming President Trump as they are for, for the riots, Uh, Some people noted on social media, and I thought it was pretty worthwhile, that there was no timestamp. So it is also clear that as some things were happening at the Capitol, the president was still speaking. As the Washington Post noted, there were already people planning on rioting and engaged in rioting before the president was done. Now, I'm one of the people who believes that the president made some serious errors. The Capitol's being breached Why wasn't there an immediate military response or other response, law enforcement response, I should argue, 
to protect it of a massive level, and why wasn't the president demanding it? Look, when it comes to policy, I'm there. When it comes to he's been attacked ridiculously and pathetically and, and unacceptably, I'm there. But there are things I put directly at the president's feet. If you had said dereliction of duty, you'd have an argument. Incitement to insurrection? You don't have it. That's obvious. Did I say hello, Tony Katz? Great to be with you. Jamie Raskin, the representative, uh, Maryland, I believe, is speaking. Let's take it to Representative Raskin. That former officials could be held accountable for their abuses while in office. Every single impeachment of a government official that occurred during the framers' lifetime concerned a former official. A former official. Indeed, the most famous of these impeachments occurred while the framers gathered in Philadelphia to write the Constitution. It was the impeachment of Warren Hastings, the former governor general of the British colony of Bengal, and a corrupt guy. The framers knew all about it, and they strongly supported the impeachment. In fact, the Hastings case was invoked by name at the convention. It was the only specific impeachment case that they discussed at the convention. It played a key role in their adoption of the high crimes and misdemeanors standard. And even though everyone there surely knew that Hastings had left office two years before his impeachment trial began, not a single framer, not one, raised a concern when Virginia and George Mason held up the Hastings impeachment as a model for us in the writing of our Constitution. The early state constitutions supported the idea, too. Every single state constitution in the 1780s either specifically said that former officials could be impeached or were entirely consistent with the idea. In contrast, not a single state constitution prohibited trials of former officials. As a result, there was an overwhelming presumption in favor of allowing legislatures to hold former officials accountable in this way. Any departure from that norm would have been a big deal, and yet there's no sign anywhere that that ever happened. Some states, including Delaware, even confined impeachment only to officials who had already left office. This confirms that removal was never seen as the exclusive purpose of impeachment in America. The goal was always about accountability, protecting society, and deterring official corruption. Delaware matters for another reason. Writing about impeachment in the Federalist Papers, Hamilton explained that the president of America would stand upon no better ground than a governor of New York and upon worse ground than the governors of Maryland and Delaware. He thus emphasized that the president is even more accountable than officials in Delaware, whereas I noted the Constitution clearly allowed impeachment of former officials. And nobody involved in the convention ever said that the framers meant to reject this widely accepted, deeply rooted understanding of the word impeachment when they wrote it into our Constitution. The convention debates... The fundamental problem with Raskin's argument here, and you understand that this argument is to set up the idea that all of the founders understood the value, the importance, the necessity of impeachment, and to which I make no argument whatsoever. But we are not discussing impeachment here. We are discussing conviction here.
And again, it is this near purposeful misinterpretation that, that blows my mind. I'm not a lawyer. Quoting William Davy, if he be not impeachable whilst in office, he will spare no efforts or means whatever to get himself reelected. You're talking about having a check and balance against unwieldy power. No problem whatsoever. But is that our argument? No. So why is he making it? Nobody has to be taught the 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 uh, impetus of, of impeachment, the historical perspective of impeachment, the value of impeachment. Rather, we're discussing conviction. And conviction of someone not in office could be a constitutional question for sure. Let's take it back to Representative Raskin. Interfere with the peaceful transfer of power would be most tempting and most dangerous as we just saw. Thus, as a matter of history and original understanding, there is no merit to the President Trump's claim that he can incite an insurrection and then insist weeks later that the Senate lacks the power to even hear evidence at a trial, to even hold a trial. The true rule was stated by former President John Quincy Adams when he categorically declared, I hold myself so long as I have the breath of life in my body amenable to impeachment by the House for everything I did during the time I held any public office. When he comes up in a minute, my colleague, Mr. Neguse of Colorado, will further pursue the relevant Senate precedents and explain why this body's practice has been supported by the text of the Constitution. And Mr. Cicilline of Rhode Island will then respond to the fallacies presented by the president's counsel. So he is naming the impeachment managers who are going to do this and that and the other. Uh, Sarah, who runs all the social media here at Tony Katz Enterprises, said, hey, did anybody notice that Jamie Raskin edited out the peaceful part? And I'm like, I'm doing 100 things at once. What do you mean? And, well, she sent me this. We will stop the steal. Today, I will lay out just some of the evidence proving that we won this election and we won it by a landslide. This was not a close election. And after this, we're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. So they edited out the peacefully part to peacefully protest, to peacefully walk down to the Capitol? No, no, I, I get it. We should absolutely trust Representative Raskin, and all of this is on the up and up, and none of this is just for show. No, wait. All of this is for show. Instead of getting upset about it, we should enjoy it. But I understand the getting upset, and we'll discuss why. Coming up, I'm Tony Katz. The impeachment trial is underway. It's Representative Nagoose speaking now. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. The White House saying they are down for $15 an hour on the minimum wage. They are all about it, and they're going to keep moving forward uh, with it. The $15 an hour minimum wage, sometimes referred to as living wage, is a terrible idea that comes from uh, slow minds. 
the idea that government sets a minimum wage is wrong. And I know, ah, oh, do I get people who get angry with me? Well, it's not my fault they know nothing about economics. You didn't need the $15 hour minimum wage for Target and others to do $15 an hour or more. You didn't need it. It wasn't necessary. Some people can't do a $15 an hour minimum wage. They simply won't be able to afford it, and you'll put them out of business. What was it that the uh, what was it the Office of Management and Budget that figured this out, or was it the the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, that if you do a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage, you'll get you'll increase in, uh, dollars for like nine hundred thousand, and you'll lose one point four million jobs. Right? Wasn't that the number? You're going to cost over a million jobs in America. What's the value? What's the point? You're going to force people into paying it? In Long Beach, California, they forced supermarkets into paying a $4 an hour bonus on what they call hero pay, because after all, they're working hard, which they are, and working through pandemic, in which they are. And so the city of Long Beach said, you, uh, the companies, will pay the extra $4. And so Kroger, which owns Ralph's and some other supermarkets, said, okay, we're going to close these two stores. They were low performing anyway, but you just gave us the reason, and boom, they're closed. $15 an hour is how you get kiosks at McDonald's that provide you your chance to order the Shamrock Shake. Which, uh, you know, the, the good news on that is that the Shamrock Shake is coming back next week. Yes! 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 I love the Shamrock Shake. It's not only the Shamrock Shake. It is the Oreo, it's the Shamrock Oreo McFlurry. Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to enjoy that too. The Shamrock Shake is an almost perfect food. The only thing more perfect than that is the Egg McMuffin. There's never a time, day or night, that you could wake me up from a dead sleep. Dead sleep, be like, you want an Egg McMuffin? I'd be like... Well, yes, I would like an Egg McMuffin. I wouldn't even ask why you're there or why you're wearing that leather mask. I wouldn't even ask. It would, even, it would not even dawn on me. I'd just be like, this is one delicious Egg McMuffin. Perfect food. Shamrock Shake, I love and adore. Love and adore. But this $15 an hour minimum wage, it's funny. Representative Ocasio-Cortez in, in, in a fit of, well, not being able to remember uh, that she's a socialist before she has an economics degree, start explaining why it matters. Some who discount our proposals, she tweeted the other day, by saying reps from urban and suburban areas don't get other places, don't seem to apply that consideration to themselves. She says a $50,000 threshold is totally disconnected from the reality of tens of millions of people, so let's talk about Queens being New York and West Virginia. The borough of Queens has a higher population than the entire state of West Virginia. We should do what helps both instead of one. If we cut relief checks to account for higher cost of living, both Queens and West Virginia get help. West Virginia actually comes out ahead to the lower cost of living. If you use West Virginia's cost of living numbers to bring down relief for everyone, millions are left in the cold. 
Cutting checks to account for queens and the higher cost of living overall is a win-win. Lower cost of living gets more bang for their buck. Higher cost of living gets their needs met. Does she not understand that she is making the argument against the idea of the living wage? West Virginia, the cost of living is lower than it is in Queens. Now, that could also mean that they pay less because there's less dollars overall. But you need less dollars to survive. So if you now say $15 an hour is is the living wage, is the minimum wage, and you don't have a population density... You could be hurting those businesses tremendously. You're also admitting that the need of the dollar in New York is very different than the dollar in West Virginia, so therefore this entire thing doesn't exist. Making this consideration, here's what we need nationwide, is fantasy. It's a myth. There is not an economist alive who can explain how the living wage is real. Let me, let me say that again. There is not an economist alive who could take me on and prove the value, the importance, the, the necessity, the efficacy, and the reality of a living wage. Not a one. There is no political alive who can do it. They can't take on you. They can't take on me. Representative Ocasio-Cortez just explained it to you. And she doesn't even understand what she said. She has no idea what it is that she actually put into the world. That's just something else. Now, it's not going to stop them. It never, ever stops them. These people are, you know, they'll, they'll just go on for forever. They've always got a reason. They've always got a need. You always have to pay more. They never learn they never ever learn. You could have a you can raise the minimum wage and put 1.4 million people out of out of work and they're still like, yeah, this is good. She can prove to you why cost of living is different in different places and how the, the idea of a living wage is a myth, which she did, and she'll still go forward with it. She'll proudly go forward with it. You know, she has a degree in economics. Ain't that a kick? She has a degree. She she should be better than this. Her getting a degree in economics is is proof positive that a college degree is hot garbage. For the majority. No, for most. For many? For quite a few. <laughs> There's got to be a way to say it in there. What was... What, she got the degree, but she doesn't know anything. And by the way, think of the childlike concept. Well, if you give them the same amount of money, everybody would be doing better. No, actually. They actually won't. Won't it be considered unfair to the people of New York that the people of West Virginia get such a good deal? And now they've got this unbelievable expendable income? How is that fair to the people of New York? Why aren't New Yorkers given that expendable income too? Well, that's going to be the argument. It's a never-ending argument. They don't care, man.
They don't care as long as they can show that, that, you know, hey, you don't actually have to do anything and we'll just take care of you, America. This diseased, diseased thought process for sure. They're cool. Economics degrees don't mean anything. They don't. Because if you could have an economics degree and still believe in this kind of stuff, what's the value of your degree? It, I'll, I'll give you an, uh, uh, a way to look at it math-wise. You multiply it by zero. I'm Tony Katz.